The countdown to summer is on. Wenatchee Apple Sox Baseball returns on June 2nd, and it's time to meet the newest members of the 2023 team with this week's roster release. Here are your hosts, the voice of the Apple Sox, Joel Norman, and head coach, Mitch Darlington. Three players down, three returning players have already been signed by the Apple Sox and are set to return. And now we continue our look at some of the other returning players for the Apple Sox as we detail five more returning players to the 2023 Wenatchee Apple Sox. I'm Joel Norman coming to you from my place here in Lincoln, Nebraska. We're joined, of course, as always, by the head coach of the Apple Sox, Mitch Darlington from his home in Chelan. Mitch, a really good start to the roster reveal. Three big members. We kind of wanted to single those guys out a little bit last week, give them a little bit of a spotlight, and now five more exciting ones coming up here this week. Yeah, yeah. Excited uh, to keep announcing some of these returners, and um, some of them having some really great springs so far, and you know, we'll dive into a little bit of that, but we're really happy to have all these returners back. You, of course, had a chance to chat about those three returners from last week with uh, uh, Dan Kuntz on the NCW Life channel last week on Wake Up Wenatchee Valley. And Mitch, I couldn't believe it at the end. You uh, you guys got into a discussion about the pitch clock, and you were saying you didn't like it. I, From everything I've seen in spring training, I keep hoping the West Coast League will adopt it personally. Oh, man. I, I, I cannot disagree with you more on that. I'm hoping we do not have a pitch clock next summer. Uh um, just, just seeing some of the guys getting called out for hitters, not being set or, you know, pitchers not being on the rubber in time. And I don't know. It's a little quirky to me, maybe because I'm just, I like the old traditions of baseball, but you know, we'll, we'll see how it progresses. I don't know how you can sit here and say that after the opening day we had last year, with all those runs, that four hour game, even before the lights went out, you know, I don't know how you can support that, but <laughs> So I don't know. I, I think some of these changes might be coming eventually to our level. And I'm sure that's something we're going to get asked a little bit about this year. Uh, I, I don't know if we'll necessarily ever have bigger bases, so to speak, but we're seeing at the college baseball level that some of these rules are coming into play. They've got the pitch clock coming this year. And, you know, at the time we're recording this, I'm I'm planning to try and get to a couple of games uh, get, over the next few weeks, including hopefully this week. And I'm really curious to see this pitch clock in action because I think it's one thing to see it on TV, but maybe in person, it might be a little bit different. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, and as a coach and as a player, I think it just kind of changes the game a little bit from what you're used to and kind of gets you out of, out of your uh, comfort zone. So, you know, from a fan's perspective, I get the overall idea, idea of it. But, um, you know, from a player or coach's perspective, it's, it's definitely a, a unique change. Well, let me throw this out here before we kind of dive into this week's roster announcement. Then, you know, what are maybe some rules that you wouldn't mind seeing the West Coast League uh, integrate into their their rule system, whether that's something that MLB has currently tried or maybe something else in mind. Maybe you just noticed from last summer. Yeah, I'm a big fan, actually, of when uh, Major League Baseball decided uh, the extra inning rule, um, you know, guy on second starting um, in, in, in extra innings. I think that for me, I'd like to see. I, I totally get that from a perspective of speeding the game up um, and especially in summer collegiate baseball um, where, you know, we're already, um, you know, struggling to find quality arms that, you know, can have multiple innings or multiple outings, I should say, throughout the summer. Um, so I think I think some sort of an extra inning rule where we start a runner on second uh, just to kind of limit innings on on pitchers and, and speed the game up in that sense uh, would be a little better. It'd be interesting. I'm surprised you support that, but you don't like the pitch clock. I almost feel like those two would go hand in hand. Either, you know, you don't like either of them or you like both of them. 
Yeah, no, the pitch clock is just different for me because some guys just work slow and and that's okay. And some hitters, you know, take their time. They step out. They want to get reset. It's just, I don't know. I, I don't, I don't love the, just the speeding up in between pitches and feeling like you have to grab the ball and go. I think some guys are used to that who work quick on the mound, but I don't know. It takes out a little bit of that gamesmanship between a hitter and a pitcher and getting in the box and, and taking your time and getting the other guy out of rhythm. And I kind of like that. I like that part of the game. It definitely seems to favor the pitchers so far. I was watching one game the other day and uh, Max Scherzer was just talking about how he loves it. He feels like he can set the pace. Now he kind of can dictate whether he wants to go fast or not because the, the hitter has to be in with about eight seconds left or so. But I mean, it's no doubt about it. It's sped up games. And I think it's something that's worth exploring. Uh, I'll promise this to our listeners. I'm going to take a look at the Apple Sox game times from this past summer and see what the average time of game was because Plenty of contests made it over three hours, and I think some of us wouldn't mind if maybe that's right at three hours. And I, I think whether you like the pitch clock or not, Mitch, I think it's worth saying that you know we all would like games to be finished in a timely fashion. That doesn't mean we dislike a baseball game or you know want it to get out of the way, but you also don't like when they drag. You know, there's there's something to be said about a long game that's back and forth and is a really good one. There's another thing to be said about uh, some of those. Uh, you know, bludgeoning fests we last summer, maybe an 18 to two game that goes three and a half hours. In real, in reality, that really doesn't benefit a ton of people. I don't think. Do you think so? Yeah, I know. I totally see that perspective of it. And yet that is one perspective I have heard um, from a couple people just comparing football to, to baseball, you know, football, like the NFL, it's one game a week. You know, people know that going in, you tailgate it, you know, you go, you kind of give up your Sunday for football. You know, whereas baseball, there's just so many games, you know, throughout the regular season that you're going to a lot of the Tuesday night or Wednesday night games, parents with kids. And, and so I, I can see that where it's like, OK, I, I want to go to the park. You know, I want to have uh, some food and watch the game and ha have my kid enjoy the game. But when it gets to three, three and a half hours, you know, I, I understand that perspective of it. Definitely a little tough, especially early in the season, late in the season, when you've got those school nights and work nights, really, of course, to to take into account together. You mentioned extra innings. Just a brief tidbit on that. The longest Apple Sox extra inning game from last season, might have guessed it, that July 17th game against Corvallis. That was a 12-inning affair, and that was a classic battle. That was one I wouldn't have minded if we had gone four or five more innings just because of how fun that one was. I'm sure you were happy it ended when it did, so you didn't have to burn any more arms, though, I imagine, that night. Right. Yeah. That, that was getting to the point where it's like somebody, let's get let somebody get this thing done. Uh, but that, that was a great game. One of the, one of the more memorable ones of the summer. Not like you had Brooks Rasmussen yet where you could have just pulled him in from right field and said, you know, take us home. Like he did several times <laughs> late in the summer. But let's dive into this week's roster announcement. As we mentioned, there are five players to touch on all returning players. Once again, after this week, we're going to really dive into the players who are outside of these returners. These are the newcomers. Maybe you know some of them from some of the schools you might follow. Maybe you don't. But for right now, we're sticking with what's familiar. I think this is a great way to start it each year so the fans kind of remember the team from last summer while also introducing those new guys in. So, Mitch, I'll let you go with who's the first guy you want to introduce for this week, of uh, the first of five returning players to the 2023 Apple Sox. Yeah, another returner that we have coming in. Had a huge summer for us last summer, and that's uh, Quincy Vassar from Vanguard University, a local guy from Brewster, as I think most of our fans know. Started our one and only home playoff game 
uh, last summer and had a great performance. Quincy, you know, from start of the summer to end of the summer was in our six-man starting rotation. And it just felt like every time he took took the rubber, uh, we were going to have a chance to win. Super competitive kid. I think that's one of his best attributes is he is – He's gonna fight you tooth and nail. He, he's he's not gonna he's not gonna go out there and, and like give up anything easy. He's gonna absolutely go out there and expect to win uh, and set the tone for our defense and set the tone honestly for our entire team. So really excited to get Quincy back. He's off to a really really good uh, start for uh, Vanguard. Uh, I think his ERA sitting like at a at a buck and a half right now, and so he's been great for them. So really excited to get him back. Yeah, I was looking at his stats right before we started here. Seven games for him this spring, 123 ERA, and his you know control has always been impressive. 20 strikeouts, four walks, and 14 and two-thirds innings. He has only been used as a reliever at all this spring. I don't know, have you chatted with him at all in the last few months? Him or Vanguard just talking about the role maybe they have in mind for him this summer because Apple Sonics fans probably most certainly remember him as a starter because six of the eight games he appeared in were as a starter with Wenatchee. Yeah, he, um, you know, that's kind of just been that role that he's been in for Vanguard. Credit to them. They have, they have some really talented arms, you know, later down this uh, release, releasing of players line, we're going to talk about another arm that we have coming from Vanguard. Uh, so they, they have some really talented arms there, some really good starters. And that's just kind of the role that they see Quincy in is he's kind of their go-to relief guy, gets them out of jams. Uh, can can go in and also finish a game, you know, long relief. But he's got good stuff. And and for us, you know, last summer we needed him to be a starter, uh, and that's kind of kind of the role I would predict he would be in again this summer. Um, you know, the guy throws five different pitches for strikes, so it's kind it's of your ideal starting like, pitcher. It's I mean, for me, it's like it's a no brainer. It's a starting pitcher. You know, he gets out of trouble. He works quick. It's he just doesn't have. And nothing that he throws is just absolutely filthy where it's something that you bring out of a bullpen that's just going to eat through one, two, three guys and close the game. But he's a guy that's going to give you, you know, six strong innings almost every time he goes out. Have you had a chance to watch his games at all this spring? We, we were talking about that last week, how it's fun to keep an eye on these guys who previously played for the Apple Songs and are in college baseball. Yeah, mostly just followed, just following the his outings, just kind of seeing when he's going to pitch or when he recently threw and just kind of looking back through a stat line. I did I did one day get on and watch a little bit of video of their game. Uh, Corey Gerald, an ex-Apple Sock, is down there playing as well. So fun to see him and Quincy. But, you know, ha- haven't nothing in person, haven't been able to see him, but just following, following along with him this spring. Now, he left the Apple Sox a little early last year. He went to work, I believe, is with Driveline. Is that correct? Trying to bring up his velocity. Um, I don't know. Have you... Have you had a chance to notice any improvements in that velo at all? Because as you talked about, there were a lot of different pitches, but he wanted to get that fastball up there a little bit more. Yeah, it sounds like the velo's up a little bit. You know, that's that's more of, you know, Quincy wants to keep developing as a pitcher himself. And he, he obviously wants to play at the highest level he can. And for him, he feels like just because his fastball velo isn't up there touching the 90 that he's not getting the looks or the consideration he deserves. Um, so that was kind of his reasoning last summer. He wanted to go to driveline, try to develop a little bit of ELO and, and kind of figure out some things. So, yeah. So you got him to come back, though, to pitch for the Apple Sox for that postseason game. As uh, Let's touch on his numbers here real quickly. Just a really impressive uh, summer for him. As you mentioned, he tossed at least five innings in six of his eight starts, 
struck out at least five hitters seven times. Really solid summer. The the cumulative totals, including the postseason, three and three, 420 ERA in 10 games, uh, 45 innings pitch, 53 strikeouts, 13 walks. You got him to come back, though, August 10th. His last outing was July 24th. What was that discussion like? Take fans through that because I'm sure there were people who showed up to the park that day and said, wait a second, wasn't he gone already? How did he come back? Yeah, so, you know, mid-July, he had told me that he was going to uh, end his summer going to driveline. And, you know, the course, the first thing out of my mouth is, well, hey, if we make the playoffs, you know, and, and this finishes up, are you going to be available? And, you know, typical Quincy, he said, oh, of course, if, if you guys are in the postseason or competing for a championship, let me know, give me a call, and I'll, I'll be back in a heartbeat to come pitch. So, we, I mean, obviously a little frustrated that he had to go and leave for that, that two-week span, but, you know, more than happy to get him back and watch him perform in front of our fans in that playoff game. He was a gamer, I thought, all summer. He just he, he was one of those guys who he could kind of pitch to how a game was going. We've talked about that with a few guys and talked about how that's such a key sometimes to pitching well in the summer. You told me a story early in the, the summer last year, July or June 15th at Bellingham, where you were thinking of pulling him. I think it was after four or five innings of that game. But then you noticed that he, he wanted to stay in the game. Explain that story to fans in case uh, they haven't heard that one. Yeah, you know, that was a, kind of a point in our season where me as a coach, I was questioning or kind of just kind of blatantly kind of calling out our team's uh, effort and our heart. Uh, we were kind of on a little six-game skid there with Bellingham. And, you know, the, obviously that was the low point of our season. And I just felt like we were kind of rolling over. We were kind of just settling for just playing mediocre baseball. But in Quincy's start, you know, he gave up a couple runs early there, got to the third, fourth inning, and he, you know, I said, okay, I think we're, I think this is going to be it for you. Your pitch count's getting up there. And he was frustrated, and he was showing some emotion, and uh, he did not want to leave the game. And I kind of just sat there and thought about it for a little bit after he kind of had walked away, and I think he had figured out he wasn't going back on the mound. And I just thought, you know what, I, I we need more of that right now. We need some guys that you know, for lack of a better word, have a little bit of that dog in them and, you know, want to be out there and want to compete and want to win. And so well, we, we kind of used it as a little bit of a rally tool and just said, hey, man, this is what we need. If we get nine guys like this, who, you know, are, are begging to be in the lineup, don't want to be off the field and there's, you know, fighting you a tooth and nail to stay out there. Uh, we're going to be a better ball club. So we re- ended up running them back out and you know, that was kind of Quincy's MO all season was he, at, at times it was a struggle. He was going to fight you for the ball, which you, you, you love as a coach and you hate it at the same time. But there's no lack of competitiveness with Quincy, which is a great thing. Yeah, classic example of the, the phrase, he wants the ball in his hand, doesn't want it really taken from him. And in that game you mentioned against Bellingham, it was a 4-1 loss, but he gave up four runs in the second inning of that game, buckled down the rest of the way, six innings, Four runs on six hits, two walks, five strikeouts. Still a pretty good outing. More often than not, that's going to get you a win in the West Coast League. But uh, you mentioned the, the keeping him in until the end of the sixth. Retired 11 of his final 12 hitters in that game. So a really impressive outing from him uh, recovering in that sense. A guy, though, who's a Brewster native, as we mentioned, he he had a lot of pride. He always, he always talked to me about just loving playing close to home, having family and friends in the stands with him, uh, cheering him on. How how cool was that throughout the summer to see a guy pitching in front of some local fans and seeing more faces maybe you might recognize as well too? Yeah, no, we uh, we connected right off the bat with just talking about you know him growing up as a kid going to Apple Sox games and 
you know, it's always been his dream to pitch for the Apple Sox. And it obviously been my dream to play for the Apple Sox or coach for the Apple Sox. And so, yeah, he, he obviously took a ton of pride in it. Um, he's one of those guys that feels like the summer season almost matters more to him than his school ball season, just because it's local, his family's there, his friends are there. This is his hometown team. And so it, it really feels important to him, and, and which is something I love. Oh, I love that too, because I felt I felt exactly the way you did. I felt like he was one of those few guys who comes into the summer and almost treats it more like it's the real season, exactly like what you said. And I wish you could get a ton of other guys like that, because that's exactly uh, what makes the summer so special, is those guys who treat it the same way that they do that school season. He began the season out of the bullpen, and Mitch, we talked about early on, he was kind of one of those additions for the Apple Sox. You weren't sure what his role was going to be, and he kind of forced the issue, didn't he, into saying, you know, hey, I, I guess I'm going to be a starter on this team and I'm going to I'm going to thrive in that role as well. Yeah. Yeah. The, you know, his first outing was at Bend, um, you know, on that Friday night where the, the, you know, the lights went out and all the craziness happened with the rain and whatnot. Um, and he threw really, really well, um, you know. And so we immediately me and Vaughn kind of were like, OK, this kid, this kid's good. And then come come around you know a few days later his pitch count wasn't too high that night we ran him out the next day we, we kind of know what happened there lost that game but his pitch count wasn't too high over the weekend and Tuesday you know the second game of our home opening series you know we really didn't have a starting pitcher that night and uh you know Quincy shot me a text and was like hey if we don't have a starter tonight basically give me the ball I'll, I'll be ready to go so yeah I thought about it and again I was like all right I like it you know let's see what happens and Again, that was one of his better outings all summer was uh, that uh, second second game of our home opening series. Yeah, that was the first of three times in the summer that he struck out eight hitters in a start. He went six innings of scoreless ball, four hits, two walks, eight strikeouts. It was part of that just special performance that the Apple Sox got on the mound that night. I, I'd say one of the better performances I think I've ever seen. They allowed four hits between two pitchers. It was, of course, Vassar going the first six scoreless. Connor Ashworth went the final three innings and he struck out each of the final eight hitters that he faced in order. But uh, just the two Brewster kids teaming up and having a 16 strikeout performance in that game, just really, really cool stuff from that night. And I think that was kind of the first sign that we got. Maybe Vassar was going to be a huge part of this Apple Sox team last summer. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. That was just a, a sign of things to come. And, and it was just cool that, you know, Quincy from Brewster and Connor Ashworth from Brewster, you know, both throw in the same game and, and and both absolutely shove and get us a win at home. And then that's the start of the season. And then you go to the very end of the season and our game one playoff starters, Connor Ashworth at Kamloops. Our game two starter at home is Quincy Vassar, you know, two Brewster guys, which, you know, it, it's just like it just came full circle. The locals that, you know, the kids that it mattered most to were a part of a really special run last summer. Really exciting and really cool that it could be some local products. So many starts from Quincy to touch on at the summer. Also tossed seven scoreless against Nanaimo on July 8th on the road. Seven strikeouts, two walks, and just three hits in that one. His most dominant start, though, Mitch, might have been his second shortest of the summer. And I prefaced at the beginning that in six of his eight starts, he would toss at least five innings. Now, that number very easily could have been seven of eight, but you pulled him after four innings on July 19th against Kamloops. That was a game where he only allowed one base hit in four innings and had already struck out six of the first 13 hitters that he faced in that game. But when you decided to pull him from that game, 
you guys had just made it a 13 to nothing lead. So very understandable in that game, but just kind of a sign of where he hit that groove in the middle of the summer. Yeah. And, you know, uh, remembering in that game specifically, that was when we were starting to lose some arms. And so when it got to a 13 nothing lead, we specifically went to Quincy and because, you know, it was going to be a battle to get the ball out of his hands and said, hey, if we pull you now with your pitch count, I think he was only at like 50 pitches. We're like, hey, let's have you bounce back and start the Sunday road series against Walla Walla. So uh, if I'm thinking correctly, I believe that was the night we, we shut him down short. We got our bullpen in there. We knew we were kind of going to close that game out and then just had Quincy bounce back quick. And, th- and that Sunday gave him another start. Yeah, he did. He started right after that against Walla Walla on the road. And I looked at his pitch count from that one on July 19th, 48 pitches to go four innings, scoreless, just one hit and six strikeouts. Extremely efficient in that game. We could go on and on about him. He's another guy. We could probably do a full podcast just on the summer that he had in 2022. But I think the last thing I want to touch on with him was just just an old school type of pitcher, Mitch. What I always got a kick out of was on the days that he was pitching, he was pretty much he wasn't sitting in the dugout or in the locker room all alone. I mean, he was helping you out during um during batting practice most of the time. Guys are throwing balls back in. I mean, you ever have a starter like that? It was so relaxed when it was his day on the bump. Yeah, you know, I, he, he wasn't a huge routine guy or, a, you know, like you say, he's just kind of an old school pitcher. And that's just Quincy's personality, though. He probably just wanted to talk to somebody and, you know, help out and be a part of BP. He was probably trying to get a bat in his hands, knowing him, you know, trying to take a few hacks in there too but yeah that's just the type of kid he is he did if I'm remembering right I'm not, I don't have the non-league stats pulled up off the try to see if I can get that up I could have sworn he got an at-bat in a non-league game oh I'm wow. sure he when we had some injuries there you know middle of June or whatever it was when we were traveling to Canada uh we let Quincy you know take some ground balls at first and and swing the bat a little bit and that was one of the worst decisions we made because then just every day the rest of summer, Quincy's, you know, wearing batting gloves and bringing the bat to the yard. It's like, Quincy, come on, man. Yeah, you know, your two-way days are over. You're 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 a PO right now. Joey Otani is ruined it for everyone, hasn't he? <laughs> right. I'm looking back at it now. Quincy Vassar, it was in two different non-league games. He appeared in two plate appearances. They were both against the fish sticks, middle of July. Drew a walk on July or yeah July twelfth and a twenty two to two win and then the next night a zero uh, for one performance in that one with a strikeout against the Fish Sticks a twenty to six Apple Sox victory and Mitch I will move, moving aside from that I specifically remember the Wenatchee World headline uh, Apple Sox offer no clemency to Fish Sticks <laughs> I just remember seeing that at the time and thinking this is this is Mitch taking out his frustration because we lost that one non league game earlier in the year. When he took oh, it easy man. and thought, you know what, maybe we'll, maybe this one we can get early on, but obviously it didn't work out that way. But that was one of my favorite headlines the world had from the season about an Apple Sox game. Right, yeah, I'm with you. Anyway, let's move on to our next player here. Lots to talk about in Quincy Vassar. Let's move on to our next. We've got four more players to go through. Mitch, who's number two of this week? Technically, this is the fifth overall returner to the Apple Sox in 2023. Yeah, let's talk about a, uh, another returning arm to the Apple Sox. Let's touch on Garrett Gores from Spokane Falls. You know, Garrett Garrett did a lot of great things for us last summer. He was another guy, like kind of like Moffitt, where I felt like from the beginning of summer till the end, he just kept improving every single outing. 
and we used them in so many different roles. You know, we, we started them at one point. We used them in the back end to try to close a game versus Corvallis. And then we'd use them in long relief. You know, he had some of his best outings where, you know, our starter got touched up a little bit. And we just put Gores in there and say, hey, keep keep this thing where it's at. Um, you know, specifically, I remember at um, at Kelowna it, where, where same thing, you know, starter got touched up, brought in Gores. And he, I, I think he went six scoreless or six or seven innings, gave up a run. But. He, he could just be used any way you wanted. Um, and, and one of those guys that, you know, kind of a coach's word, we call it a rubber arm, but it felt like he could just throw on a Tuesday and then, you know, he'd be ready to go by Friday, uh, no matter what his pitch count was. And, you know, I think at, uh, at Edmonton, we actually had to play him at third base. We, uh, we were talking a little bit about some injuries and he, and he played well, he played well at third base, didn't make any errors, got a hit. Uh, and, you know, he's two, he's a two-way player at Spokane Falls. So, uh, a really good guy to have on the summer ball roster, not only for his pitching, but, you know, an emergency type position player as well. Garrett Gores to me was such an unheralded part of the 2022 Apple Sox. I really felt like you have to have a Garrett Gores on your team to be a good, uh, you know, a good ball club. You hear at the major league level, the need to have that role player, you know, a Dylan Moore type, like for the Seattle Mariners, he can play the outfield, he can play the infield. Garrett Gores could come in as a reliever. He could be a spot starter. He could play third base on a road trip where you're down a couple third basemen. He played first base in the first game of the postseason. He started and went one for five to the plate in that game. He just he uh, stepped in. It felt like anything you asked of him last summer, whether it was, hey, Garrett, we kind of need you to eat some innings. I know you're struggling. Or, hey, Garrett, you know we're going to put you as a starter here. He didn't really ever seem to take issue with that in a sport where I think ego is is very apparent. Garrett Gores was a really unselfish and crucial part of last year's team. And I hope fans realize just how useful he was last year. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, one of the biggest things you said there, unselfish. He was he's probably one of our best teammates that we had last year and just a great guy to have in your clubhouse. Great guy to have in your dugout. Never a guy that's that's messing around in the dugout or not focused on the game. He's always, you know, regardless, he's talking the game. He's asking questions. Uh, probably going to make a great uh, coach someday. And honestly, you know, I, I, he hasn't signed anywhere yet. If I was a four-year school, I would be all over Garrett Gores. From the pitching side, from the teammate side, everything that kid brings to the table uh, is going to make your ball club better. He checks off every box, everything you were talking about right there. I mean, just to touch on the teammate side, you know, one of the things on the road when you get off the bus and the team's unloading the bus or, you know, whether going back in the hotel or wherever, one of the things, you know, the coaching staff, you guys always make sure is the guys get the the baseballs and everything else they need. Garrett was usually one of those guys. Hey, we need someone to go grab this. And he would be over there. No complaints. And you need, you need more guys to do that, whether they're the top, the best player on the team or the worst. You need them to be doing that kind of stuff. Just so such a great teammate. I feel like there was so much he did that fans maybe didn't get a chance to see. But I just wanted to take a moment to acknowledge that. Looking at his numbers from last season with the Apple Sox, two and two with a 499 ERA in 10 games, one start, 39 and two thirds innings, 30 strikeouts and 11 walks and 45 hits. I mentioned the ERA, though, Mitch. This is another example of a guy who. You, you, there were a couple times, and we touched on this early, early on in the season, especially. You kind of asked him to eat some innings. You said, you know, we kind of need you to be the long reliever right now. You might not have an inning or two that goes well, but you got to keep going. He did that without any issue last last year, and a couple of games I think look worse than they really did. Uh, the June third game against Bend, he had a couple of great innings. I think he only had really one bad inning in that game in the season opener. 
and that kind of hurt his stats a little bit, but just just a huge part of the of the Apple Sox. He kept them in that game because you'll remember how you remember how back and forth that was. Uh, Mason Philly in a rare bad outing was knocked out in the, the second inning. And then Gores went through and it went the next four innings, kind of really helped bridge the gap and allow you guys to come back in that game. Yeah, absolutely. And and for fans that don't quite understand that, you know, they're you know, they think, oh, ERA, you know, that tells you the whole story. Uh, you know, like you touched on, it, it doesn't, you know, for a guy like Gores, if you come in after a starter's been touched up, you got to think about it from the other side's perspective. Their entire lineup is in a rhythm, seeing the ball well, you know, they, their confidence is high. They've just got two or three base knocks, whatever it may be. And then you're asking a pitcher to come out of the bullpen and try to just put the fire out. It's not easy as opposed to coming in when, you know, your starter's gone six scoreless and he's just carved up their lineup. They're, you know, they're frustrated. They're, they're, they're not seeing the ball well. So it, it makes a huge difference. And and like you say, in summer baseball at times, you know, you get to late July or whatever it may be, there's just times where you don't have that luxury of you, you just can't keep going to the pen and keep going to the pen. At some point, somebody just has to kind of bite the bullet and just gut out a few more innings. And that can really inflate your ERA as, and, and not, you know, paint the whole paint the whole picture there. His ERA, more than any other outing, it really got hurt by his only start. And he was actually pitching really, really well through the first four innings. But you guys were up by a score of five to two after four innings. It, things just got difficult in the, in the fifth inning. He allowed six runs at that point. But it was one of those outings we talked about. And, and it was a situation. He went 99 pitches in that game. Uh, you know, So that was, that was a career-long effort in that instance. But uh, ERA took a hit in that one. But I think really that was one of the few ones – where that was the case, Corvallis, I think the other one, you, you touched on his relief outing in that one. That's a game where Mitch, he comes in in the ninth inning. It's tied up right now at that time. It's three to three, and you're asking him, Garrett, uh, you know, probably going to need you to take us home until we win this or lose this one. And he went really well to start things off. It went extremely well to begin the outing, but uh, things fell off a little bit later on, of course. You know, three scoreless innings and then runs into trouble in the 12th inning. It's hard to go the 9th, the 10th, and the 11th all scoreless before a, a, a tough 12th inning where he ultimately gives up a total of five runs in that one. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, touching on his start as well, I believe it was that Kamloops. That was one of the hottest points of the summer. I remember Garrett, you know, drinking a full gallon of water, just an empty milk jug full of water and uh, trying to stay hydrated. And that's a whole nother role for him as well. When he hasn't started all summer, now you're asking him, Hey, you know, it's 105 out, uh, go start and go give us six innings. So, you know, as you're, as you're sweating your weight out. So, you know, I, again, you know, we're not making excuses. We're just painting the full picture for Garrett and he had a really great summer for us. So he, he did. And there's two huge outings to talk about in there. Six and two thirds innings of relief. How many times do you say that? Only on a Mitch Darlington team does it happen, you know, six, seven, eight times in a summer. Uh, six and two thirds innings of scoreless relief on July 7th. Tough outing in that one for the, the starter of that game. I remember that was a, a game where in the first inning, John Lucas Shin gets knocked out, only gets one out, gives up four runs. Gores pretty much goes the distance except for the ninth inning. And gosh, that was a game I remember hating that we lost that because it was just another dominant pitching outing. And we talked about it all summer, Mitch. The strength of the Apple Sox last year was its hitting. But it felt like every time a guy went out and just had the game of his life, whether it was a starter like Ryan Mullen, the eight-inning complete game, or Garrett Gores in this instance, we just couldn't get him enough runs on that night for some reason. Yeah, that's just... 
that's baseball in a nutshell. That's the way it works. It's it's trying to find that balance between getting great starting pitching and, and having your lineup produce. And it, unfortunately, it seems like more often than not, you get a starter that goes and just shoves. And then it's just like the lineup can't find a way to go get a run. So, yeah, that was tough. Five strikeouts for him in that one. Six and two thirds scores July 7th in all in relief against Kelowna. Two outings later, July 26th, five and two thirds scoreless against Cowlitz. Got the win in that one. Just one hit and one walk. No strikeouts, but five and two thirds scoreless. So Garrett Gore is a very welcome addition coming back to the Apple Sox here in 2023. Mitch, did you have a favorite outing from Garrett Gore from the summer? We touched on a few of those. Uh, what was your favorite one that stood out with him? Or maybe a favorite moment that stood out you had with Garrett Gore? Yeah, I you know, I, I I wouldn't even say it's an outing on the mound. I think just circling back and touching about, uh, you know, him as a position player. Um, you know, I just still remember back to Edmonton, had those injuries and, you know, basically just letting Gores hop in, take some BP, get right back in the swing of things and threw him out there at third base. And he, he played well, made a couple of really nice plays. Um, and then like you had mentioned, you know, in our first playoff game, we go on the road, DJ Massey doesn't have a passport. He can't travel, so we're bumping guys around in the infield and end up putting Gores at first base, and he does just a great job over there. And, and again, I think got another hit in that game as well. So that just speaks to who he is and, and the character and his willingness to just dive in and help the team wherever he can. Yeah, technically in game one of the postseason against Kamloops back on August 9th, technically Gores was one of five players who had been with the Apple Sox since day one. But obviously the other four, Joey Churro, Yama, Xander Orohudos, Adam Fossil, and CJ Horn, obviously they were a little bit more regulars in the uh, the batting order. But a huge performance, of course, having Gores back uh, in that and really just helping, up, helping the team out in the postseason there. The 2023 Wenatchee Apple Sox season is right around the corner, and the best way to enjoy all the fun at Paul Thomas Senior Stadium is with season tickets. Season tickets are now on sale for as affordable as $145, and they lock in your seats to all home games from June to mid-August, and they also include all postseason games for free at no additional cost. Premium reserve seating closer to the field and with seat backs on them are also available for $245, and new this season are flex packs for Apple Sox fans. It's a value general admission pack of $60 that gives you 10 general admission tickets that can be used at any point in the 2023 season. Single game tickets will go on sale later on in the spring, but for right now the best option and the best value is to purchase Apple Sox season tickets. Head over to applesocks.com right now to lock in your seats. Two players down that we talked about this week, Quincy Vassar, now Garrett Gores. We've got three more returners to touch on. Mitch, who's number three to announce here this week? Yeah, let's touch on uh, Evan Canfield from Edmonds Community College. Evan last summer, uh, you know, somewhat similar to Gores, had a variety of roles. You know, we tried him as a starter in a couple games. You know, one of his best outings was in that Friday night in August game versus Walla Walla, where we clinched a playoff spot. Thought that was a great outing from him. But honestly, you know, some of his best performances were late inning relief. We, we never at any point last season really had a true closer. You know, we kind of had to juggle around numerous guys. And, and Evan was one of those guys that you could throw in the seventh inning with a lead. And, and hey, if you throw the seventh inning well and the eighth inning well, just go finish this thing. And so that was kind of the role Evan had last summer. 
re really good fastball, uh, gets a lot of movement, can run it up high 80s, touch a nine at times, but really had two different changeups that that were nasty that he, you know, were swing and miss pitches. So really excited to get him back. You know, he will be you know, throwing this spring for uh, Edmonds. Um, and I think he's a guy that could play at a really high level someday. Evan was such an interesting pitcher with the Apple Sox. As you mentioned, his ability to finish games. This was a guy who sometimes you just you gave him the ball and you said, you know, this game's yours to wrap up. And it really showed in his numbers. 4-0, 122 ERA in nine games, three of which he started, one save. The save statistic we've talked about before, very flawed in a sense, but uh, probably could have had a couple of more in there if they were different types of ball games as well. But uh, 29 and a third innings, 33 strikeouts, 19 walks, and 21 hits. It's hard to talk about your favorite Evan Canfield moment because I think a lot of them blend together. Not, not for the sake of oh they were all you know you know mediocre. It was more of just he did the same thing repeatedly. It was Evan go get us through the end of this game. Maybe we're going to get some runs, keep the game where it's at, or you know whatever the case might be. And frankly, Mitch, more often than not, he was able to do that. He was able to toss some of those last few innings of a game and just finish it up. Maybe the Sox took the lead in his second inning of work, and he would go the final two innings after that to just conclude it. But he was able to do the same thing repeatedly over the course of the summer. And a role, as you touched on, it's not easy to do. It's not easy to say, go get the final four innings or go get the final three or come on in the middle of the, of the seventh and let's get the last three innings here. Yeah, and, and another one of those guys, like we had mentioned with Gores, about kind of being a rubber arm, always wanted the ball. Always, you know, there was very few days where Evan said, oh, you know, I'm, I'm not going to be up tonight. I'm not available. You know, he was ready to go almost every other night. And and it was huge for us. Um, like he touched on just being able to, hey, here's the ball. We got a lead. Go finish this thing out. Was a guy that never really got rattled by the moment. Just kind of had that calm, just kind of like almost relaxed demeanor on the mound. Never too high, never too low. And just knew how to pitch. Really, really knew how to pitch. So excited to see how he progresses this spring. Um, as he gets more collegiate action and, and excited to see what he's going to do for us next summer. Now, one thing about Evan from last summer, he was so good those first four outings. He only allowed two earned runs over his first 14 and a third innings, and he only walked two hitters. Now, things kind of went the other direction over his final five outings of the summer. So that spans 15 innings in which in that stretch ran into a little bit of trouble as he walked 17 hitters in that time, including each of his last three games. He walked at least three in all three relief appearances. Did you attribute that maybe to some fatigue because he did not pitch last spring? Yeah. You know, that's a great point. You know, he, he was coming off a little bit of an arm injury towards the end of spring. And so we kind of, another one of those guys kind of like Hunter Gibson, where we kind of had to just get the feet wet, work him in slowly start to build them back up. And yeah, and then him getting used as a starting role later in the season, that, that fatigue that, you know, it's just a huge difference when, you know, you're, you're going in there and you're closing a game and you're only throwing two innings as opposed to your mindset now is, okay, I got to survive five, six innings. I got to be able to go deep into this game. It, it just takes much more out of you. And, and that's where that cardio and that stamina uh, kind of comes into play. So I, I think Evan is one of those guys that, you know, and this isn't a knock on him, but, you know, he's he's got to have to really put in the time and work, uh, clean some things up, you know, get into better shape, get his body more ready to pitch. Um, and if he does that, his arm, I mean, his arm talent is insane. He, 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 I mean, 
he, he's got everything in front of him. His whole career is in front of him. So I think coming back to Wenatchee and working with a guy like Mike Calia, who's really going to have a program for Evan, is going to be really beneficial for him. Probably his best relief outing of the summer was one of the quicker games of the summer. We were talking about pace of play a little bit earlier, July uh, the 5th against the Kelowna Falcons. We just talked about Garrett Gores having a great outing on the road against the, the Falcons. This time it was Evan Canfield, July 5th, game in which he tossed the final five innings of scoreless ball. That was a, another really standout relief performance. Eight strikeouts, three hits, no runs, and one walk, and a two-to-one Apple Sox win, kind of just the way you drew it up in that day. But an impressive outing from him. I, I think you have to touch on that one. Fans definitely remember the outing you talked about previously, though, the game on August 5th, uh, packed house at Paul Thomas Senior Stadium. Canfield goes out and tosses five scoreless innings in his third start of the summer. Uh, we talked about the crowd. I mean, that was a really great crowd on hand. 1,280 fans there at, at Paul Thomas that night. But the thing that stood out to me in that game, especially for Canfield, was he, he had that confidence as a starter finally. Those first two games, he had the ups and the downs, and the stats weren't bad as a starter, but they weren't as good as they were in that one. And he was dominant that night. Four walks, but just the two hits and five strikeouts. Yeah, yeah. That third start of his was was great, as you mentioned. Um you know, that's something we kind of hemmed and hawed about a little bit. Um, we saw him as a reliever and him throw really well. Um, and, you know, like you mentioned, that the stats weren't bad in those first two starts, but it just didn't seem like the same guy. It it, it wasn't that dominant guy that we're used to. And, and so credit to him, you know, he really wanted the ball down the stretch. He really wanted to start working into a starting pitching role, um, which is probably what he's going to be doing for his college. And, you know, credit to him. He put put together his best performance and, and, and did it at the end of the season when it mattered most. What do you foresee him as with the Apple Sox then? We talked about how he, he wanted to be a starter, but you th- you think maybe he's going to be in that relief role with Edmonds this spring. Yeah, you know, it's tough to say, you know, you're, you're looking at your team on paper right now, so it's hard to kind of figure roles out. You know, I personally, my guess would be he probably is back in that late inning, kind of a closing role for us, um, kind of, or a long relief type role. Um, but, you know, like I say, it's so hard to know, you know, a guy like Mason Philly came in last summer and was a starter all of the year at Arkansas Monticello. And we gave him a couple starts or a start there and he just was better for us in a relief role. And then you talk about a guy like Quincy Vassar, who's flip flop, you know, he's in a re- relief role at Vanguard. But for us, you know, he's he just keeps being a great starter for us. So it, it's just hard to know. It's hard to know on paper until you get the guys in and you kind of figure out what works. So, Mitch, I think it's fair for everyone to assume right now we're just going to expect uh, the starting rotation to be number one starter, Quincy Vassar. Uh, the final five days of the week, uh, it's going to be a rotating cast of members. Mike will go two innings, then three, then three, then two. It's going to be a bullpen kind of night, just maybe five nights a week next summer. Is, is that going to be the case? <laughs> yeah, well, I honestly, as a coach, I feel like that's the way I've been coaching it, man. I, I feel like our fans are probably like, dude, we, this guy starts this guy on Wednesday and then Saturday night, that guy's in relief for 30 pitches. Like, we, you know, it's just piecing stuff together. It's just finding ways to get the most out of what you got. And so uh, that's just been my philosophy. I've never been stuck on these are my six and they're staying my six. And, you know, if guys go out there and perform really well, and I think they, they serve us better as a starter, I'm going to move them as a starter. If, if a starting pitcher on, you know, a few days rest is willing to give me 30, 40 pitches, uh, if the arm's healthy and right, um, you know, I'll use them in a late inning release situation. It's just kind of managing the arms and, you know, managing what they do best. I loved it last summer. Frankly, 
I compare the, the pitching staffs, the 2021 Apple Sox and the 2022. And just to explain to those who might not be very familiar, there was a lot of guys on both squads who had a ton of stuff. And we're seeing a lot of those guys from both teams doing really well at the college baseball level. The biggest problem to me in 2021 is it felt like guys were getting forced to go, you know, hey, we need you to go into the fifth inning. You're a starter. This is what you want to do. And they fell apart in the fifth inning or in the fourth inning. And last year, I think you saw it a couple of times. And then you said, okay, you know, until you can kind of prove you can get that inning, you're going to be used in this type of role. And then we're going to bring in the next guy and you're going to take us home until you don't have it anymore. And I felt like, you know, this year, this past summer compared to the year before, it was such a, a good example of we know what the guy's strengths are, like you talked about. Let's use them in that way and break the conventional way of thinking of that, you know, the starting pitcher has to go at least five or six innings. And that's how baseball is being played right now at every level. And to me, it was kind of like bringing a postseason mentality uh, to every regular season as well. But just touching on some of the stuff with Canfield as well, did not pitch uh, last year at Edmonds looking to make his season debut here. Of course, did previously pitch on the West Coast League back in 2021, kind of late in that year against the uh, Apple Sox, made a debut with the Port Angeles lefties. But really impressive guy to have back on this summer's team and probably going to be a little bit of a relief to your pitching staff as well to have him as an option this summer. Let's talk about the next couple of guys we've got here as we continue this week's roster release. Who's the fourth player to announce him this week who's returning to the Apple Sox again in 2023? Yeah, fourth member is Jack DiDonato, uh, left-handed pitcher, was originally at Washington State University. He's now at University of New Mexico. And, you know, Jack's a, an interesting one to talk about. It, it was honestly the tale of two different seasons for Jack. There was the first few outings, Jack, where he was really struggling to find the zone. Uh, you know, mechanics were a little bit off and just did not have his confidence. You know, he kind of came in and uh was really just walking the house could not find the zone and then you know after a few outings really found it and then he ended up being a guy that uh had some huge moments for us down the stretch um, one that comes to mind is at Yakima a, a great relief effort there uh that kind of finished that game out for us um and then another outing at Kamloops you know the game when we were down nine to one I believe rallied all the way back to win that one and we threw Jack out there and he just kept throwing up zero after zero and 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 uh the guys really fed off his energy so really really happy to have jack coming back absolutely pitched in five games for the apple Sox over these previous two seasons a couple appearances uh back in 2021 so technically his third year with the apple Sox, but a guy who i think we're going to see a lot more this summer than we saw in the private uh, prior two summers arrived in late june 432 era eight strikeouts and 10 walks and seven hits in eight and a third innings just the, the three appearances, though, last summer. And you talked about that outing, August 3rd against Yakima Valley. One run over five innings of relief to pick up the win. And you said something about that, you know, the night. I remember you said going into that game, you said, we're going to need some guys to go out there probably tonight with where we're at pitching-wise from that extra inning game the night before. You said, we're probably going to need a couple of guys to go out and give us something good here tonight. You didn't need a couple of guys. You just needed Jack DiDonato that night, Mitch. Yeah, it was a special performance from him. You know, I, I credit a little bit Jake Putnam, a guy that pitched for us last summer. Dave Nato was really struggling with his confidence and, and, and mentally dealing with some stuff. And uh, I remember Putnam one day just coming up and saying, Coach, Coach, uh, uh, Jack's, Jack's going to turn around. I got him fixed. He's, he's ready to go. And sure enough, you know, it was like a different dude. Uh, I don't know what he said, what he did. 
Uh, we'd have to get Jake Putnam on the podcast and ask him that question. But, you know, the guy is a, a pitching whisperer, I guess. He, he he did something with Jack, and that was the Jack DiDonato we were expecting. And so I, I think that's the guy we're going to get next summer. I think he's got to be a confident guy in his uh, third summer with the Apple Sox. Uh, he knows what we're all about. Uh, he brings a ton of energy, ton of ton of just passion and, and, and fire to our dugout. So uh, excited to see what he's going to do for us. Yeah, and just for reference for everyone about Jack DiDonato and talking about the summer that he had, it got off to a really interesting start. June 28th against Kelowna, just to give reference to that game, it was a game in which you guys were leading 9-2 to two after scoring six runs at the bottom of the sixth inning. So you turn things over, ironically, from who we just mentioned, Jake Putnam. You turn the ball over to Jack DiDonato. You just signed him for the summer. You needed some arms late in June, picked him up, and he joined the team. He comes in. And he got off to a great start. I'll, I'll never forget how that inning went because it was so, so strange because he comes in, gets a drop third strike uh, to get the first batter, next batter out swinging uh, to make it, you know, two up, two down so far, and then throws the ball. And then the next pitch, I remember, was hit really hard up the middle. And it, it seemed you could see it on his face in that moment. Something changed as soon as that base hit happened because it was really hard right toward him, went up the middle. And then, you know, one pit, the next first pitch of the next at bat throws a wild pitch. Runner goes to second. And then the balls really start coming. He he had a stretch there where he just had a ton of trouble, did not throw any strikes the rest of the way after giving up that single. And ultimately, you pull him in the middle of an at bat after two consecutive walks, wild pitch in there. And then a couple of those runners would come in to score. He just lost the strike zone that night. I remember it was so strange for how dominant he started in that game. Didn't get another piece of action until July 13th against the Fitch Sticks. And again, just a tough outing. And it was really strange what was going on because you guys had been, you were rolling in that game. You had a 12-run second inning against Dub C and game was pretty much in control is my point. He comes on fourth inning, gives up four runs in that time, five walks again. And just the walks just continuing to be an issue. But that outing against Kamloops, things certainly changed, Mitch. That was that 12-10 to 10 win for you guys. On July 30th, Jack came in and got some big outs. That was the game we've referenced before as one of our favorite from the 2022 season. You guys were in the doghouse, and it didn't look very good. You know, it's 9 to nothing after two innings before you score five runs in that third inning. And then DiDonato comes onto the hill in the bottom of that third inning, and he had a really good outing. Two and two-thirds innings, two hits, one run, three walks, three strikeouts. So putting aside Jake Putnam's advice or whatever he did say, what did you see that was different that night that Jack DiDonato had not done to that point? Yeah, just the fire and just the confidence. You know, he came in that night against Kamloops and he looked a, a little more like he had an edge and, you know, was ready to go pitch and, and, and go take it to the other team. Whereas before he just seemed a little passive, like he was, you know, trying to throw a strike overly just overthinking the game uh, a lot of that's just mental and so you know the, the cam loops game and for the rest of the summer it just saw a guy that just looked a little ticked off and, and, and on the mound with a little bit of an edge and i'm gonna go right at you and see if you can hit it and so that that was just kind of the mindset he needed to be in and that's different for all guys you know some guys can be a little more calm and, and strategic and pitch and then there you know there's other guys and you see it across all levels of baseball who need to have a little bit, of a little bit of an edge, a little bit of here I come, try to hit this, and and so that kind of just flipped uh, the light switch, flipped for him um, from that point on. 
you hear a lot about some of the best pitchers about how they have an alternate personality when they're on the mound. So we'll have to come up with a name for Jack DiDonato when he's pitching, some sort of nickname for that <laughs> for this coming summer. Now, right. a cool thing about Jack Mitch was that he's from Mercer Island, but his family, they didn't they move to Wenatchee? And that was kind of a neat thing is he was able to just come, you know, come from home and pitch for the Apple Sox in late June last year. Yep. Perfect situation. You know, don't have to find a host parent for them. Um, families all live in Wenatchee right now. Um, and, you know, they're actually going to host some other teammates for this coming summer. Like you say, you know, it works out great when that stuff like that can happen, where a talented kid can move into Wenatchee or family lives in the area. And uh, it's kind of the ideal world. I think it's really cool. I think it's neat to help be able to have some other teammates in the house with them. I think those are the best host family situations where you got multiple players in the house. So thank you for segueing into this moment, Mitch, where we can talk about the host families, of course. So important. Still looking for those here for this 2023 season. We give you free season tickets for all home games that summer, and you've got your own player to cheer on with the Apple Sox as well. If you're interested in becoming a host parent, please reach out to us right now. Email info at applesox.com. Uh, Mitch, if I know you, I'm sure you're you're knocking on the doors of neighbors. You're driving into all your other tens of uh, dozens of towns across the state of Washington that you have a, a weak connection of some capacity to. And you're saying, you know, come on. It's hard to deny having an Apple Sox player at your house. Right. Yeah. Too, too many family for me. I mean, there's too many Darlingtons in the Wenatchee Valley. So uh, it makes it a little easy from that perspective to be able to uh, find some host parents. And of course, thank you, of course, to everyone who's listening who has hosted a player. You know the fun and the the joy that it brings, just how you help these players grow as people and as ball players in the process as well. Talking more about Di Donato, Mitch uh, pitched it, did not pitch at Washington State last year, but a really good pitcher in high school. Uh, first team All-State honors as a senior in 2021 at Mercer Island High School, 156 ERA, 34 strikeouts in 20 and a third innings ranked the second-best left-handed pitcher in Washington by perfect game. We know the stuff's there. Uh, what are you looking for him to do at New Mexico this year? He has not pitched yet uh, with the Lobos this spring. Yeah, looking for him to do what he did with us, uh, go out there, have that fire ready to compete, uh, and go earn a job. You know, he might be one of those guys that the stuff doesn't blow you away in a bullpen where you sit and watch him, but I, I really think when he gets his opportunity and gets out into a game and – uh, competes that he's going to impress some people. So uh, needs to go out there, like you said, and 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 have that fire and have that competitive edge and and go earn a job. Yeah, looking forward to seeing him do that and uh, hopefully get some big outings in here this spring. And of course, it'll be nice to have him back with the Apple Sox this summer. Mitch, of these first, what are we at now? Seven of the first seven returning players that we've talked about, six of them have been pitchers, which is good. It's really nice. We've got a lot to build off of there. But well, this final edition is a guy who's going to be a, a fill-in right now for uh, as a position player. And that's kind of what he was late in the season last year. Um, the last guy we're talking about, he's going to come in on a 10-day contract, really with a golden opportunity to help this team out and maybe earn a full-time opportunity. Mitch, who's the final player we're talking about for this week's roster release? Yeah, our final returner uh, for this coming summer will be Nino Voltaggio. Like you mentioned, Nino you know, finished last summer with us. He had played all summer with the Dub C Fish Sticks, a, a good friend of a player we had last year, Mike Davini. Um, so kind of got connected that way. You know, Mike knew him. He, Nino was playing at Cal State Bakersfield, a uh, good outfielder. And uh, Mike knew we were kind of slowly losing some players and we were getting towards playoff time. And, and he was one of them. It was partly his fault. Yeah, partly <laughs> Mike's fault. So I think he was trying to help me out and find somebody, another position guy to bring in. So 
ended up connecting us with Nino and, you know, re- Nino had a great finish to the season for us, you know, had some really big moments, had some big hits, can play good defense for us. Um, and so, like you mentioned, he'll be on a 10 day contract to start our summer. Um, but like I tell all of our 10 day contracts, there's always that chance. Th- this league has so many injuries, so many different guys who can't show up or, or have to go home for one reason or another that, uh, you know, 10 day contracts should never be looked upon poorly. It's really just more of an open invitation to, to come and try to earn a job. And, you know, if we ideally, if we stay healthy, you know, unfortunately our 10 day contracts don't stay with us, but when, when things happen, you know, it's their, their chance to step up and, 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 you know, be an impact for us all summer. Now he's a guy came in late last season. You mentioned a 10 day contract for the season. We don't always know when guys are going to be coming in to begin their season. Some are full-time, some are, maybe he's going to start in late June or mid July or so. Is Nino a guy who has been signed with the intention that he's going to open this season with the team, fill in some plugs where, you know, he might not normally be able to fill that spot in the middle of the summer, but he is going to get a chance right away to start for the Apple Sonics when the roster is a little more thin. Yep. Yeah. So Nino reached out, um, you know, wanted to come back. And at the time, you know, we filled up so quickly this fall with position players, different schools reaching out, wanting to place guys with us and establish those connections. So um, unfortunately we got really heavy, you know, our roster got really full really quick, but, you know, asked Nino, Hey, would you be available June 2nd when we take the road for Bend? And I'm, I'm sure we're going to need players, you know, that, the, that first week um, and credit to him, he jumped all over it and was like, yep, I'll take the opportunity. Um, would love to be out there. And so, yeah, we fully plan to have Nino on opening day and him sticking around as long as he can. So that's really exciting for fans right there. There's at least one player, you know, is going to be there right when the season begins who you remember from last season. And again, his time with the Apple Sox was certainly brief last year. Nine games that were regular season or postseason. One game, his season debut with the Apple Sox was a non-league game on August 1st. And actually had a pretty good one. And that one, a RBI double in that game, uh, run scored in three at-bats as well. Also hit by a pitch. But um, in his time with the Apple Sox, you know, regular season and postseason, nine games, 296 batting average. Kind of a guy, Mitch, to me, who wasn't he wasn't going to go out there and wasn't going to hit the ball over the fence, but he had a chance to go the opposite way sometimes, to sneak one over a shortstop's head, find the gap on the right swing as well. A lot of I think there was a lot of potential with his at bat, but I, I think on the beginning of the summer, I imagine a guy who's going to be a solid piece at the bottom of the order that probably helped turn the lineup around. If I'm just assuming right here. Yeah, yeah, just a guy you can plug and play. Really, like you say, nothing about his game is going to like overly you know, flash or impress, but he just does everything really well, you know, plays good defense, makes the routine play consistently and, and kind of just a good inside out hitter ha- has a little bit of sneaky pop can sneak one over your head or can, you know, can once in a while run one out of the yard, but you know, moves pretty well as well. He's got, I think five stolen bases on the year. He's at a lone uh, community college right now and having a good start for them. So uh, yeah, I- I'm excited. He's going to be a good plug and play guy right off the bat for us. Yeah, did not play much at Cal State Bakersfield in 2022. He's bounced around a bit in his college career. He's a junior right now. Didn't play ba- played one game at Bakersfield in 2022. Before that, a couple of years at Saddleback, where he had some really good numbers. You know, 317 batting average 2021, 2020, 292 batting average as a freshman that year. In his college career, he's got five home runs entering this season. So this is a piece, Mitch, who he comes in and he's got this opportunity to try and prove himself, as we talked about. But um, at Ohlone College right now, trying to 
to jump back in and maybe restart uh, that division one opportunity after not playing last year. So he's, I imagine he's going to have a lot to, to prove this summer after what's already been a really solid start to his college season, 273 batting average through his first 13 games, 17 RBI and two home runs in that time as well. So uh, I, I think it's exciting in that sense that you're getting these 10 day players are always motivated, but it's nice when it's someone like this too, who you kind of have an idea of as well. Yep, like you touched on, uh, got a lot to prove for him going back from a Division One school back to a JC college. You know, you know he's going to be looking to to sign somewhere and looking to uh, impress some people in the summer to to be able to go to that next level. So love when guys come in hungry. Um, love, I love the junior college guys who just finished up eligibility who are going to be looking to sign at a four year. Um, you know the Mike Davinis, Joichiro Yama. Uh, so many different junior college players we had last year who it just seemed like they were they were there to prove something to people. So I'm hoping this is this is another one of those situations. Absolutely. It's it's funny. I was just talking yesterday. Uh, obviously, as I mentioned, people I'm here in you know, Nebraska. I'm calling junior hockey right now. I was chatting with our public address announcer recently because he was from California. And I was I came up with conversation. I said, uh, what, what college do you go to? He goes, oh, it's a small junior college out west. You'll never have heard of. I said, Try me. You know, I've, I've seen some schools with uh, the time with the Apple Sox. I said, go and try it. He goes, uh, Ohlone College. I said, I know exactly what school you're talking about. So really funny, <laughs> you know, small world. And once again, another instance like that where it's just, wow, you know, uh, another funky connection right there. But uh, Nino Voltangio coming to this team. And Mitch, I think we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about this with Nino because I think it's a moment where, again, his time with the Apple Sox was limited, but one of the moments I think that fans probably unfortunately remember with him is the time he was hit by a pitch and, you know, he just, he tossed his bat aside. You see the guys do that all the time out of frustration, but unfortunately it kind of took a hop and went into the bench and could have been really, really dangerous. Now, Nino to his credit was making jokes about it the next day going, you know, what, you know, what a knucklehead I was doing something like that. And he was more than willing to talk about, you know, that was, that was a mistake. I should have been better there, but Talk to me about a moment like that, because I think every player has a moment of frustration, but it's about you know sometimes learning from those and saying, wait a second, there are ways to to show or channel your frustration that don't potentially end up being dangerous. Yeah, just didn't like personally, I didn't like the look of it. it. You know, it's one of those things like it's one thing, you know, to be frustrated, but to to show that level of frustration or show up your opponent, it just doesn't look good. It's not. You know, it's not a part of Apple Sox baseball. It's not what our fans want to see when they come to the yard. So uh, Nino's credit, he's he's a totally coachable kid. Uh, he knew he messed up. You know, that was kind of the end of that. So uh, obviously Nino's going to have some bigger moments than than throwing a bat for us this next summer. Yeah. So, but yeah, just one of those things, you know, we, we want to respect the game and play it the, the right way. And uh, our fans and our, especially our young fans, you know, they come to the yard and they look up to these guys. And so, we really have to set the example for how baseball and, and, and how you act as, as an Apple Sox baseball player. To spin a big positive on that, Mitch, that was in his fourth regular season game with the Apple Sox. He was hit by a pitch at home and did that uh, in his final five games with Wenatchee. He had a hit in all but one of them. And his second to last Apple Sox game, of course, was his best, that four for four performance in game two of the division series against Kamloops. So he channeled that because you, know, you removed him from that game channeled that and fixed it and you know was able to produce in a positive way moving forward so I love seeing that we say it all the time the summer season is about growth and he showed a ton of growth immediately right after that so 
that's a look at all the guys we've got coming back uh, this week. Mitch, eight players who played last season with the Apple Sucks, regular season, postseason, and are going to be back on this year's team. We talked about a little bit at the end of last week's episode. How cool is this to have this many guys? How big is this for setting the tone? And, and specifically referring to these five, how do you expect them to set the tone this way uh, for this year? Because there is that leadership opportunity with coming back, playing for the same head coach that you played for the year before. Yep. You know, like we talked about last last week, these guys know what we're all about. They know what we expect, you know, and looking at it, seven of these eight guys are, are pitchers who are coming back and, and really important keys. Uh, seven guys that I think really played significant roles for us down the stretch and, and saw big innings on the mound for us. So I really think that's kind of going to be this core that's going to anchor our pitching staff whether it be starters, bullpen, whatever it is, you know, they're going to set the tone. They're going to want to improve upon what we did last year um, and kind of just raise the expectation for our pitching staff. That's, that's one of the toughest things in, in summer baseball, but you, you see the good teams in the West coast league, they have dominant pitching staff, you know, that they're able to have really good numbers, low ERA, uh, you know, and keep their lineup and keep their teams in every game. Um, and so that's going to be one of the biggest adjustments I think this coming summer is, we have to raise our expectation for our pitching staff. You know, we can't afford to just keep getting into slugfests and 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 have these 10 run games. You know, we, we got to expect better out of each other, expect better out of our pitching staff um, and, and just raise the bar overall this summer. Just to give people an idea of where what Anchi was last year, offensively speaking, led the West Coast League and runs scored 13 more than the next closest team. Total bases right up there as well. Uh, third, 722. No team was more dangerous on the, the base bats, it sure felt like, because of Joe Ichiro Oriyama. A few more stole bases than them. But uh, the Apple Sox, second in the West Coast League, at a, two, a 285 batting average behind the, the Ridgefield Raptors, who've got that very friendly hitter ballpark. They had 295 mark. But impressive, the Sox at 285 with half their games of Paul Thomas. But a dynamite team offensively. On the mound, we talked about it. There were struggles. And when you look at this team in terms of ERA with its flaws, Wodanchi was middle of the pack. And just because they were middle of the pack doesn't mean it was good. It was a 488 mark. So there's room for improvement this year. And for and like you said it, Mitch, I think it's very fair to talk about being the pitching staff. So maybe that begs the question here. I'm sure maybe a fan, the you know, the cynicist might ask, the cynic, I should say, would ask, okay, wait a second. You had a 488 ERA last year. You have eight returning players you're talking about, but six of them are pitchers. Why is that the case? You know, one one is pitching. Good pitching is hard to find. You know, and and these seven guys that we're bringing back, it was it's not like these seven were our you know our bottom of the barrel bullpen guys that didn't see innings. I mean, you're talking about Quincy Vassar and Jack Moffat, two guys that were starters for a full summer for the Apple Sox. So you expect them to make a jump individually next summer. You talk about guys like Garrett Gores, Evan Canfield, Jack DiDonato, three guys that were just key plug and play guys, just absolute uh, come in, come in any situation and can close the game. So you just expect that those guys are going to grow themselves individually and, and lead to better things. So, yeah, that, I mean, that's the biggest reason you got you got to you got to find a way to retain good arms when you have them. And, 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 you know, from a position player standpoint, it's just easier to find quality position guys. Schools are always willing, you know, to, they want to send you their, their some of their better position players. But as far as the arms, um, as, as many of our fans and many people who follow the West, West Coast League or summer baseball in general know, 
you, you're not going to get the, the division one Friday night starter. You're not really going to get those guys out here throwing innings in the summer. Uh, those coaches are just more protective of their main starters at the college level. And, and so, yeah, so, it, I mean, that would be the best way I could answer that. Yeah. I, you look at it as and speaking of the start, I mean, we need to get her on a, an Apple sock shirt one of these years and sell it. You can never have enough pitching written right across the front <laughs> and an Apple socks logo. That'll be the team mantra for another year, but um, right. really exciting talking about these guys going back. And now uh, Mitch, I always say this is always a little bittersweet for me. This is eight returning players we talked about. And now I think we really close the book figuratively on that 2022 season. We've talked about, the guys and what they did last year, they're coming back. That's nice. Now it's in with the new these next few weeks. Everyone we talk, talk about from this moment moving forward have not played for the Apple Sox and hopefully are going to really write their names down in the Apple Sox record books here this summer and be part of, but you know, potentially another memorable team. So this is where the fun begins with some of these guys coming up. How excited are you for these next few weeks? Some of these guys, we're going to get introduced to Apple Sox fans before they ever get to see them play. Oh, man. Beyond excited to start talking about some new guys as well. Like you said, 2022, great, great summer. We made a lot of great memories. That was the foundation. And and now we just want to keep building off that. This summer is just a new opportunity and a new team, um, like you say, to come in here and, and make more memories and, and uh, you know, hopefully uh, – right? 2023 somewhere on a banner someday. So excited to start talking about some new guys as well. A lot of cool guys coming up next week. So stay tuned for those. For any more information on these guys that we've talked about from this week, you can find that right now on applesocks.com on our most recent press release. Stay tuned next week. Newcomers to the Apple Sox will be announced right here on the Apple Sox podcast. Thanks for tuning in to the Renati Apple Sox podcast. If you enjoyed it and don't already, please subscribe to get updates on our newest episodes. Make sure to like the Apple Sox on Facebook and follow at Apple Sox on Twitter or Instagram. Wenatchee Apple Sox Baseball, celebrating summer one inning at a time.